almost every restaurant, cafe, takeaway in Australia has international staff and they cannot get back up and running without those staff. So I want those people there because I want their skills, I want their labour, I want their diversity and I want them there when I enter my happy place. Please don't let it be too long and get to go to restaurants again. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Moments of crisis can reveal a lot about one's character. There's no right way to cope with something like this pandemic, but some, in the face of adversity, stand up and take on the world. Not everyone is in a position to help, but some that are have put all their energy into making something for someone else, making a difference. Danny Valant is a well-known Australian food writer. With no restaurants to review, she lost the voice she had for 13 years. But as it turns out, we're hearing from her more than ever, and she's helping to give a voice to those without one. Danny, how are you going? Yeah, I am feeling like I'm living through interesting times. And I think that's a curse, isn't it? To say that you're living in interesting times. Yes. Um, I'm fine, you know, like I feel like I, I, a, a lot of people are doing it tougher than I am. Uh, I feel busy, like I've just made myself really active or I haven't made myself. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's funny to hear you say those things about me because I don't really, uh, yeah, I guess I haven't really... Nothing I've done has been very thought through or strategic. It's just been um, just leaping in and doing any little thing that I can think of that might help or that might get me back into restaurants again because I really miss them. Yeah, me too. And I guess that's triggered this podcast series is that sense of wanting to help and what can I do. And I guess for both of us having voices in the industry, that's you know a way that we can, we can do things. And I, before we sort of get into all of the stuff that you have been doing, now, what was the immediate impact on on you? Well, I was, uh, you know, that sort of that last weekend where it just felt to me like the roller door was coming down and everyone sort of had to run in and get into the garage before it hit, hit the ground. Uh, I was up in northeast Victoria doing a bushfire recovery story. Remember the bushfires, <laughs> you know? Um, like it just seems about five years ago. Doesn't so it? I was up in Bright on um, on, um, I think it was the Friday night of that weekend that just felt like everything was changing. Uh, in the, and it was only the middle of March, like it's not that long ago. Um, but it just, uh, the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival had just been cancelled. That really, I felt like that was a, mess, a massive sign that, you know, this was big and this was going to affect everybody in, in my world. Um, so... And it was weird because it was that empty esky vibe. So I was, you know, filling up my esky, but at the same time I felt like, I was like, am I filling my esky or is this hoarding? You know, <laughs> like it was just this really weird confluence of craziness. And I just, I felt like I really wanted to get home to my house and my family and because things felt like they were about to change, but I really felt like I wanted to shine a light on these people who'd been so badly affected by the bushfires and it all just felt very, very strange and poised on the edge of a precipice. Yeah, and what you say about the bushfires is right. I mean, it, it feels like it was so long ago and it was such a pressing, concerning issue and then something else that like a bigger force of nature arrived that swept us off our feet. 
I mean, Victoria is still recovering from the Black Saturday bushfires in 2009, you, you know, like we, you know, it's it's going to take a decade to recover from the fires and then on top of the fires is coronavirus and it's just the, yeah, it's it's a pretty bad script because there's too much happening in the film, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and, you know, speaking of forces of nature, you know, since this pandemic started, you, you've been like an activist, you know, like you've been a food writer and a well-known one for a long time and you've just you know I as you're saying like I think it's just instinct driving you but can you tell us a little bit about what is driving you to sort of try and help others yeah it's funny to hear hear you speak about me like that because honestly I'm just here at home you know like everybody um here with my kids and my husband and everyone always seems to want food and I feel like I'm wiping the kitchen bench like five hours a day uh, so um, I don't really know how to be an activist, but I'm just doing stuff and it just, you know, I suppose I suppose it started when uh, when this all started, there was so much information and it was so confusing and I was in touch with a lot of restaurateurs who were uh, bewildered, as we all were and are, you know, but I, I felt like, okay, well, what I can do to help in this situation is try to sift information. You know, as a journalist, information is my thing. So, I started collating resources for HOSPO owners on my website and, you know, it was just as various relief packages came through, I just put links up and then I'd update those links because that information kept changing day day by day. Um, and that sort of rolled into doing a Facebook group. So I've got a Facebook group which is um, for HOSPO owners. I guess it's focused on Victoria but it's called Victoria and Beyond so anyone who's an owner can, can join. So please do just um, request like friend me on Facebook if you want to if you want to join up and I'll hook you up um and then just be, by being in touch with these hospo owners the issue of their um in, international staff started to really percolate for them and and thus for me where they started to be worried um I mean for all their staff but particularly for their internationals who as the various um uh Aid packages came through. They were they were excluded from them one after another, and it was and um, you know it, it's a tricky time for everybody. But when you've got when you're not from here, and you know you might have been here for years, but English perhaps isn't your first language. You're trying to sift through the resources, and it's all very scary and bewildering. Plus, you've got no job and no way of getting money coming in. It's just a scary time. So, I started doing another resource page for those folks um, and sending out. I built an email list and it swelled to over a thousand people within a couple of days and I started sending out email bulletins to them. Um, again, just trying to help them out with information. What's some of the uh, what's some of the stories you can tell us about, you know, these workers that, you know, were here working, helping our industry, contributing, paying taxes, um, and they've sort of fallen through the cracks. Have you got some stories of some of those out there that you've uncovered? Yeah, totally. I mean, just just now, I've just come back from serving soup to some of those people at Attica, and we can we can sort of talk a bit more about that um, later if you want. But uh, I mean, the stories are, you know, I'll, I'll I'll tell you about one guy. He's in Cairns. His name's Antonio, and he's from Portugal. And he's here with his wife and his kids. They're all Portuguese, but they've been here um, for a, a year or so. He's on a student visa, and he's working as a chef. Um, and he's everything's fine, you know. He's earning money and he's paying for all the things that visa holders have to pay for, which is uh, insurance. They're not um, able to access Medicare. He's got to pay for his kids' um, school, even though they're at public schools. But he's, as an international, you have to pay fees. So it's got 
you know, it's it's all okay because he's he's got a job and he's got skills that are valued. Um, all of a sudden, that all fell away. He's still got to pay his insurance bills, his his um, education expenses, and he's got absolutely no money, none coming in, no government support, and no food, um, and no money to pay bills. Um, Antonio went down to the um, the waterfront in Cairns with a fishing rod to try to catch fish to feed his family. Um, he did that. You know, um, you know, whenever whenever they needed to, but quite a few times when he went down there, he was moved on by the police because they told him that fishing wasn't an essential activity. Wow. Um, yeah, like how intense is that? This is Australia, you know. <laughs> like this is, you know, we can look after these people. These are people that, uh, you know, Australia welcomed in, and I know that Australia doesn't always welcome in people from elsewhere. Uh, but these are people who are welcomed in. They are taxpayers. They are contributing. We actually need their skills. Uh, and I just think, you know, no, we didn't know that this was going to happen. Um, it's not realistic for the prime minister and, and other, other leaders to say to someone like Antonio, Hey, go home. If you can't sort it out, go home. Like he is home. He's just having a really tough time in his home, which is Cairns. Now, you started an online petition to try and force the government's hand on this and, and help these workers because there are so many of them. Um, can you tell us a bit about that, sort of what level it's at and, and you know, what needs to happen for the government to address this? Well, so, I mean, the petition was, I suppose, a way that I could just, it was really to try to shine a light on this issue and the plight of these people, but also it helped me organise my thoughts around uh, why it was important that we look after them. I mean, so, you know, some of the points that I raised are that it's, you know, it's just basic social justice. Um, you know, we're all, we're all part of quote unquote Team Australia. You know, I don't really see why uh, any of us should be looked after any better than any, anyone else. Um, I think there's health issues to consider. We're being told to socially distance. If you are poverty struck, if you lose your rental accommodation, if you're not able, if you're suffering from food insecurity, that is not the best conditions to also practice social distancing. So I think, you know, for, for the health of all of us, I think it's great if people are in secure housing and are able to source food in safe ways. Um, so I think also, you know, when you talk about our beloved restaurant industry, Huck, it's like we need those people when restaurants come out the other side. And, of course, we don't know the shape that that's going to take, but we know that those people are essential. Like every, I won't say every, but Almost every restaurant, cafe, takeaway in Australia has international staff and they cannot get back up and running without those staff. So I want those people there because I want their skills, I want their labour, I want their diversity and I want them there when I enter my happy place. Please don't let it be too long and get to go to restaurants again. Just on that note, you know, going to restaurants again and you and I have uh, forged a a career as restaurant critics and um, how do you see the food media playing out and the role of a critic when we do get to sit in a restaurant again and enjoy it? Yeah, look, it's really interesting because I guess, I mean, I think it's such an interesting question. What is food media? Like what is a restaurant critic? I think it's such a different thing now than it was in, let's say, like 1970 when there was more anonymity and it was all about this voice from on high and you had this really revered platform and there weren't as many voices. You know, we've both seen that 
play that that playing field changed so much over the past 15 20 years where obviously there's a lot more social media around I mean we're both part of social media as well um, anonymity is a little bit gone out the window in that space um, but I've never felt as deeply part of the industry as I do now and it's it, uh, so that is a slightly weird space for me you know um, yeah like I know the code to the Attica back door now because I've just been in there making soup it's like that's not a position of a <laughs> restaurant critic, right? That's like, like there's some lines that have gone a bit blurry. What's the code? What's the code? Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check it on my phone. Um, so, yeah, so I suppose that's that's an interesting one. It's like what is what is the role? It's like at the moment I feel like I'm trying to champion the industry and do anything I can to, um, you know, uh, help it recover and give it strength and and elucidate some of its issues. Um, from the media point of view, I mean, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? Like I've lost my job um, as a restaurant critic for the Sunday age. There's no freelance budget at all. It's really hard to get any stories across the line. Um, so as freelancers, we are in trouble. Um, there's not as much work out there and I don't think that, you know, the economy is going to slow down a lot or it has slowed down a lot. We don't know when it's going to pick up. We don't know what the playing field is going to be for freelancers and media in general on the other side of this. So I don't know what it's going to be like. Do you think that the, um, there are a lot of stories that should be told that aren't being told in food media in Australia at the moment, given the circumstances? Yeah, yes. Yes, totally. Can I tell you one? Yes, please. Okay, so I've written this story and I've sent it off to the age and they love it and that they're trying, you know, they're trying to find a budget to pay for it. And this is this is a really I love this story. So it's about a bar in Fitzroy called Little Hop and Anita, who's the owner, is one of the people on my Hospo owners support group on Facebook and she um we were just got we got chatting and she told me about her situation. Now she's one of those real hospitality people, you know, that, that you and I would both treasure. You know, she loves looking after people. And most of the people that go to her little, like, 24-seat bar in Fitzroy, like Taco and Tequilas, most of them are regulars. And she's really stricken because she knows what an important place her bar plays in the lives of those regulars, and she's worried about them now. So she's, she wants to – she's missing her um, – She's missing the art of serving and of looking after people, but she's also worried for the people that she looks after. So one of the things that she's doing just to sort of, you know, look after herself emotionally is going down to her kids' primary school and feeding the chickens. And she <laughs> loves it when the chickens are like fluffing around her and she feels like she's looking after people. She's pulling weeds from her garden, taking them down there probably far too often just because she wants to look after people. That's amazing. Like. That's a story, right? And then I've spoken to a couple of her regulars and they're like, okay, I feel like I've lost a limb. You know, I'm, you know, they don't want to, they're like, you know, I'm fine. Like, I'm glad I'm not sick and then we get it. But, you know, this, this is, you know, hospitality is so much about identity and, and the different, different aspects of yourself that you can be in different scenarios. And I think, you know, the people that go to bars, you know, you might be sitting at the bar and you might be a regular or you might not, but you might you might have those conversations that don't have strings attached and you can just debrief or unwind or let go. And as one of the guys in, that I interviewed said, you know, he's he's in his apartment, he lives by himself, he's he's got it, he's working, he's working from home, he chats to a few friends on Zoom, he goes for a run, and then it's like, now what? He doesn't have that that third place, you know, like that place that's not home and it's not work. So I think that's one of the things 
that I'm missing, you know, because I think those 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 places that let you let you be that other version of yourself. We don't we don't have that at the moment. And yeah, it, it makes me sad. And I think that is the kind of story that needs to be told. As well as all the really like heavy stuff about having no money and not being able to, you know, get food for your family. Yeah, and I think I think we're starting to realise and see restaurants in a different light. And it's it's always been about the celebrity chef and the food so much in the food media. And yet what I think we're missing is that sense of hospitality of someone looking after you and someone creating atmosphere and an experience more so than the food. Yeah, and you, yeah. Well, I loved that um, episode that you did um, with the guy from QT, and you know he spoke really eloquently about that. And and you know I I, I was like you know walking along with my dog, like yeah, yeah, I agree with you guys. Like I think we are so much more going to appreciate that sense of being looked after and and just that beautiful like that real human, human to human, that feeling when someone anticipates what you want and then give it to you, you know, or, they, or you didn't even know you wanted it and then they've, they've done it. And, you know, that that just fit, makes you feel honoured as a person. And you, I don't think you can, I don't think you can really underestimate the power and the importance of those light touch interactions that we're all missing at the moment. You know, that um, sort of sense of generosity and giving uh, that hospitality has, and you briefly touched on the soup project that you're doing with Ben Shuri, and you know the lengths that he's gone to to adapt and main, keep his staff and all sorts of stuff has been phenomenal. But you've started the soup project with him. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Look, there are there are really lots of restaurants and chefs that are doing amazing stuff, and I think it is you know hospitality people love to give and they love to feed people so i think um yeah this is this is what um ben and i are doing but there's so much other good stuff happening as well um so attica's got 37 employees and 20 of those are um overseas visa workers so if the restaurant wasn't operational and they weren't earning um a salary from the restaurant they wouldn't um have access to any of the government benefits no job keeper no job seeker um, so, I mean, I guess, you know, I, th- I think Ben knew that I was, this was an issue that I was interested in and, um, I knew that it was, that these visa workers were crucial to Attica and the Attica along with many other restaurants would not be able to get up and going on the other side of this, uh, without these people. So yeah, just out of it, it was just, we came up with the idea of, um, a weekly soup offering, um, and it's about giving people soup, but it's as it's as much about awareness raising and just um, I, I I feel I just want to say to these people like you know we stand beside you you know it's Australia doesn't I don't feel like Australia like belongs to me and not not to them you know I just feel very fortunate to be in Australia in the first place and you know we we don't own this country anyway there were people here a long time before my immigrant family. Um, so I just feel really uncomfortable with this notion that that my, you know, that my um, access to support and assistance, if I if I needed to access it, would be less, would be more than somebody else's. It just seems like basically wrong, and I can't stand it. Yeah. And I just wanted to just make a small gesture. What's it like cooking in the kitchen with Ben Shuri? Is it frightening? Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it was. It, like kind of because <laughs> I, was, I was we were chopping we were chopping leeks together and chopping onions and I was like is this is this how it should be <laughs> um and I said oh 
um, I was really careful to be on time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I did actually show him a trick about washing leaks, which he wasn't aware of before. So really tell us about it. Uh, so do you do that thing with the top of the leak to get the dirt out? Like you just cut across in it and then you can sort of like wash it under the tap. Um, almost like it's like a mop and you can just rub in between the layers of the leak. So that's, do you do that? No, I didn't know about that either. Okay, I'm gonna have to do. I'm gonna have to do a little video with this, with this hack. It's a leak hack. Um, so yeah, Ben didn't know it either, but he did admit that it was actually really good. Um, but yeah, he. I think he can probably. He, he let's. Yeah, you wouldn't want to see our knife work up against um, up against each other. Like he's he's obviously way better at cooking than I am. But, um, you know, and I was terrified with the seasoning. Um, yeah, like I knew that I wouldn't have add enough um, salt for his taste, so I let him do the final adjustments there. But, um, you know, we were, making, we were making leek and potato soup. We weren't doing, um, you know, like uh, crocodile ribs or um, something elaborate with, with Davidson plums. So it was pretty, it was pretty rustic and, um, yeah, it was okay. I got through. So a bit earlier you mentioned... Other people are doing amazing things uh, down there. Do you, do you have any examples of what other uh, restaurants are doing to help? Yeah, totally. I mean, I almost don't want to mention anyone because I don't want to leave anyone out. And there are so many people doing good things, but I, I, let's I'll just a few people that spring to mind. Um, so Scott Pickett uh, over in um, Northcote at Estelle is doing some pretty hilarious um, <laughs> cooking video stuff, <laughs> which can be a bit frightening and if he's if he's not fully clothed then you might need to just like scroll past but um yeah and he's being super generous uh and offering food to anybody who needs it uh there's this other um cool restaurant uh in uh is it thornbury or brunswick but it's it's theodore's and um they've really pivoted uh really uh, in large part to support their um overseas workers um from being a restaurant to a grocery store and they've also tapped into you know as yeah I know like I'm I'm pretty much a, a fangirl of your podcast because I'm going to mention another episode which is the oyster guy um so just that we well, we all know the, like, the supply chain is just totally wrecked right so what are they doing over at Theodore's is also supporting a wholesaler who supports in turn supports small farmers so they're also getting produce out to people so I love I love that um there's also Melbourne Food Squad which is um yeah south side over my side of town and they are doing a lot of, you know, seafood deliveries um, door to door with some really the sort of stuff you would only see in restaurants like um, scarlet prawns and toothfish and just really beautiful seafood where it feels like, I mean, it's amazing to get that produce at home, but honestly I would really love to be able to eat it in restaurants again. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's also guys that are doing really nice finish at home sort of dishes. So, um, Charlie um, at Atlas, he's doing these themed produce boxes that are backed up with recipes and cooking videos, these sort of Atlas masterclasses. That's very cool. There's not going to be a skill shortage at the end of this. We're all going to know how to cook. Well, it's a bit, it's a bit scary, isn't it? But um, I think it's an opportunity, I think, for us to approach produce at home in new ways. And I have got this other little, like, tiny little social media project which is hashtag great duck project and that's to um anyone can jump on board that if you like into cooking duck or want to learn more about duck 
Uh, so it's to support a producer called Great Ocean Ducks down on the Great Ocean Road and they supply almost all their ducks to restaurants and so they're in trouble. But a lot of chefs um, like uh, Khan at Sunder and the Royal Mail Hotel, Robin there, um, and Rob Cabord, who was at Cave, has now got Lekka. So they're all using their ducks and I'm trying to just like muster a bit of excitement around the project of cooking duck, um, which is, I guess, it's a skill, it's a it's an upskilling project for home cooks, but it's also to shine a light on what chefs can do with with um with that. And you know, it yeah, I'm happy to be able to cook duck at home, but I'm always gonna appreciate going to a restaurant where a chef has done some magic with it. So I wanna go back to your campaign just briefly because you've been working pretty tirelessly with it for to help um workers on visas here that um that, you know, have no jobs and no money and no help from the government. Now, your campaign, it's having some success and Tasmania is leading the way um, with an announcement recently. Can you tell us a bit about that and do you think it's going to have a ripple effect? Yeah, well, I would also say I'm not the only person talking about this. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to take credit for anything that, that happens. Um, but, yeah, it was a really amazing announcement um, from the Tasmanian Premier, a Liberal Premier, I will add, uh, who has announced I think it's a $3 million fund uh, to support visa workers with um, cash grants and, and other assistance. Uh, it's not enough. It's I think this is really something where the federal government has to come to the party simply to deal with the scale of the problem. But it is so welcome. And and the, the, he's, the, the what the Premier said was, you know, it was exactly what I think and exactly what I think all the politicians should be should think, which is, you know, these people deserve our support, they're part of our community, it's not fair to hang them out to dry at this time of great crisis. So, yeah, we're going to bring them into the fold and look after them. So I think the message was amazing and I don't think state governments, it's, it's, I think it would be unfortunate if um, the effect of the federal government not stepping up was for, to kick the can down the road to the state governments and also to local councils. I don't think that's good enough, but it is. Um, it, it's definitely welcome, and it's an amazing. It's an amazing little bit of momentum. Um, but yeah, you did ask earlier what I think should happen, and I didn't really answer that properly. Uh, it, there's so many different categories of visa holders, and so different things um, could be done, and that would um, affect different people in different ways. There's one thing that's that's quite simple, and it's almost just like someone just needs to like you know. Uh, tick a box somewhere and surely this could happen. So this, the people who come here on temporary skills shortage visas, so that's a lot of restaurant managers and, and chefs, um, they're not able to work for any other employer. So the employer that sponsored them to come here and invested heavily in them being here um, is, there, is the only employer they're allowed to have. So let's say you've, come, you've been brought out here by, let's say Grossi Florentino has a lot of these guys and if Grossi Florentino isn't able to... Um, offer those guys work during this crisis, they're not able to go and work anywhere else. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? That's crazy, right? So they're totally stuck. Um, the other thing that, I mean, so JobKeeper, JobKeeper is starting to roll through now and that's a really amazing program by the federal government. Like it's a mass, it's just such a big ideological shift for a Liberal government um, to start paying people's salaries. Um, it doesn't, it's not available to employers to pass on to their visa workers. So what it does is disincentivize them to have any of their visa workers in the kitchen or in the in the restaurant at all. So 
even even in the, like the first weeks of this crisis where people perhaps stayed open and did take away simply to divvy up the proceeds to their visa workers who weren't able to get any social security or you know have any other safety nets um, now as money starts to flow through to their um, permanent resident or Australian employees they are really um, disincentivized to have any of the visa workers um, earning any money at all because they're not subsidized for those salaries wow. so it's it's so tough like even employers that want to look after everybody that they've had on their books um, just yeah they're just sometimes really backed backed into a corner and it's it's heartbreaking what's the number one thing that people can do to help uh write to their local mp both state and federal uh sign and share my petition um it's change.org slash no worker left behind um yeah i mean there's you'd want to say like oh you know give sling 50 bucks here or whatever but it's just, it's a massive problem like there are charities that are doing really good work um uh but i don't think it, this isn't something that you know uh, you know a little soup kitchen down in ripponlee or you know even a, a big a big feeding people program is really it, this is a this is a structural policy problem yeah that um so i think what we need to do is yeah, all <laughs> become activists, <laughs> and um, yeah, just just make the government see sense. That I really feel like it's it um, might be too optimistic, but I just really feel like when Scott Morrison says, "Yeah, if it's not working out, go home," I feel like he just doesn't understand. You know, this isn't backpackers that came here for three months of beer and beach time. Like these are people who are building lives here. In many cases, they've invested here. They've got leases. They've got cars. They've got cats. They've got boyfriends and girlfriends. Um, jobs that they want to go back to, you know, they, they don't necessarily have, quote, unquote, you know, a home on the other side of the world to go to, even if they were able to get there. So, yeah, I just think you just need to make our leaders understand what, this, what the true nature of the situation is. And then surely, because, you know, because it's the right thing to do, they'll, they'll make it better. Now, on a lighter note, when we can eat in restaurants again, what are you going to eat and drink? Oh, I, I probably spent too much time thinking about this. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do too. Like I really want to go to cafes. I just want to take my laptop to a cafe and just like tap away at, you know, at my job that I've got back and, um, and just like have like five coffees and some eggs and, um, you know, all the extras and everything. Um, I want to meet my friends there as well. I just want to laugh and socialise and just like be way too close to people at a bar. Um, <laughs> I just want that. I just want, I want, you know, are we ever going to be able to eat off share plates again? You know, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I just want that sense of communion and community. Yep. I'm with you on that. Listen, um, it's been amazing. It's probably time to wipe your kitchen bench again. You've probably only done it three times today. Um, so I might let you go. Every time I look around, there's like crumbs on it, and there's more. I don't know how many, how many, how people can use so many glasses. But. Yeah, I, I, I'm guilty of that actually, using too many glasses. Um, listen, amazing to talk. You've you're like I take my hat off to you. You've been incredible the the last month. I mean, you're an amazing food writer anyway, but you've, your energy has been inspiring. So thanks for talking to us. Uh, well, I've loved what you've been doing and I eagerly await every issue of this podcast. So I don't think I'll be able to listen to the one with me on it, but I'm really very grateful and honoured that you would ask me to chat. Cool. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Huck. 
This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Stay safe, isolate and be well.